As Karen said in the video, we have been in this powerful series that really dives into some of those hard teachings of Jesus, some of those things that are really kind of hard to hear. They were, they were hard to hear at the time for like the religious leaders of the time, for his own disciples. He was telling them things like, stop judging other people and start paying attention to your own life. Or um, love your enemy as much as you do your friends or your neighbors, right? Or cut off your hand if it's causing you to sin. You know, like, no, these are hard things to hear. And yeah, these things are in the part of the Bible that we call the gospel, right? And the gospel is really just defined, Kevin said this early in the series, as the good news, right? So this is the good news that we're hearing about. But sometimes the good news that Jesus taught about, you know, outside of grace and love, those were kind of hard to hear. Some of these things were hard to hear. And, And I'll be honest with you, some of these things are no harder to hear now than they were back then for the disciples and and the religious leaders. You know, Jesus was and is a radical when it comes to thinking about living your life. He didn't do things the way we would do them. Jesus' teachings were not about making us content or happy or fulfilled with our current life. They were about challenging us to a new way of living. And, and why does he do this? Does, does Jesus just do this because he wants to see us squirm? Some of these things he say, they do that. And, and you might have those friends, you know, people you know, who are those instigators, right? Who like to come in and say something just to see, get people riled up and get them worked up. They'll post it on the internet like, oh, I want to see what people do here. That, that is not what Jesus is doing, okay? Jesus is not doing this because he just wants to make us uncomfortable. No, no, no. Jesus does this because he knows that there's a better way of living that will call us to a more fulfilling life and relationship with his father. That's why Jesus is putting these hard teachers out there. And he knows that these are important for our eternal life. And this is what we call being a disciple. It's discipleship. Now, disciple is just a fancy word, honestly. It's a churchy word for being a follower, being a follower of Jesus. And this is what, you know, White Oak takes as as our kind of definition of disciple. This is our approach, is that someone who intentionally learns from Jesus to be like Jesus, and then in turn wants to make others be like Jesus. These are ideas that are here to help us be on mission, but that doesn't make them any easier to hear. And today's net message, today's idea is not going to be any more easy to hear. The big idea today is give up your life if you want to live. Now that seems really contradictory. To say the phrase, give up your life if you want to live, it doesn't really make sense. I mean, you might be thinking, how do I live if I give up my life? That, that doesn't make sense. And it is kind of confusing. I'm not going to lie to you. But we're going to take a look at this, and we're going to try to understand why Jesus is saying this. What is he saying, and what does he mean? Now, we've been in the book of Matthew. Um, so if you've got your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open it up to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 16 of Matthew. And, uh, you know, these were part of the Gospels, one of the four books of the Gospels. And this is where we spent time in this series. And in this part, you know, this part that we're going to be in, chapter 16, basically 
it's right after, you know, Jesus comes out of this moment um, where he's been teaching people on the hillside, right? And, and all these people have gathered together because they're hungry. They're hungry for, for God's word. They're hungry to hear what Jesus has to say. So there's thousands of people here. Um, the Bible says like 5,000. There was probably more than that. But you may know this story, but I'll, I'll tell you a quick synopsis of it is that they're, they're listening to Jesus for hours and hours. And then they start to realize that not only are they, they hungry for God's word, they're just straight up hungry. They just start getting hungry. They want some food. And, and Jesus says to his disciples, get us some food. And the disciples, I, I'm positive their response is like, what are you talking about? Like, I didn't bring any food. Did you bring food? Nobody told me to bring food. So they go out and find a fisher, a young boy who's got some fish and loaves. And, and you, if you know the rest of the story, Jesus takes this meager offering, this tiny amount of fish and loaves, and he feeds 5,000 people with it. And they have leftovers. I mean, like this is an amazing what did they do with leftovers then, by the way? I don't even know. Like, they didn't have refrigerators. I, I'm going to eat leftover hamburgers for lunch. I don't know what they did with these. But this is, they have leftovers. This is amazing stories. And the disciples are like, this is a miracle. Like, how did he do this? So right after this, Jesus and his disciples have now gone off on their own. So they're just, this is Jesus and his disciples in this moment we're going to be. And they're talking to each other. And they're setting and he's teaching them. And so Jesus asked them in one part of chapter, chapter 16 here, he asked, you know, who is the son of God? And, and one of his disciples, Peter, he, he answers, and, and this is in verse 16 of chapter 16. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So Peter's acknowledging who Jesus says he is. And then Jesus then goes on to tell them how he's going to die and raise again. Now, Peter misses the whole raise again part of it. He just hears the die part, and he doesn't like it. Peter is not having what Jesus said. So he, he takes Jesus aside, and what we see now in the next part of Scripture that we're going to read is this moment between Jesus, a personal moment between Jesus and probably what may be his closest disciple, okay? And so here's Peter talking to Jesus, and, and this is what happens. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Now, I mean, the scripture here is pretty clear. The word it uses is rebuke. That's not a word I use a lot in my house. I don't know if you use the word rebuke a lot. Pam says rebuke a lot to me. She rebukes me regularly. I rebuke you for not doing the dishes. I rebuke you for leaving your clothes on the floor. But it's, not, it's a strong word, though. Rebuking someone is like admonishing them, like coming down hard on them, really getting in their face, censuring them. That's, you, Peter is saying to Jesus, don't say this. Peter can't believe it. Peter is upset. With Jesus, how could someone who is so kind and he has just seen perform a miracle, right? I mean, he's literally come out of a miracle with Jesus. How could they just say that they're going to die? Such a terrible death. How could, how, could they, how could he say that? This was unthinkable to Peter, that Peter was saying, I can't believe you're going to let this happen. I mean, can you blame Peter for this? I mean, look at this situation that he's in. 
He's seen what he's seen, and he knows Jesus, and he loves Jesus. And he doesn't like that Jesus is going to die. So what does he do? He resists this idea. I mean, would we not do the same? I mean, do we not deal with death in the same way when someone we know is given a death sentence from, like, cancer or if they find out they've got something that's going to take their life, or, or we lose someone at a young age or from a sudden death, do we not rail against that? Do we not say, how could this happen? Do we not, and, and, and I'll say, if someone who has this happen, who knows they're going to die, then accepts this fate, do we not often go, hey, you need to fight. You need to, you need to fight this. That's what we always say. When we find out someone, you know, might die, we say, like, what can we do to stop this? That's what Peter is saying. He doesn't understand why Jesus would accept this. No way, Jesus. Don't let this happen. I've seen you do things before. This was not good news to Peter. So what does Jesus say to Peter? And it's not comforting, by the way, what Jesus is about to say to Peter. This is what he says to him in verse, in verse 23. He says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I can't imagine how Peter felt in that moment, because Jesus has just said to him, he just called him Satan. I don't know if you've ever had anybody call you Satan. I don't think it feels good. I don't think he responded well to this, and Peter is probably hurt. But here's the thing. Jesus was not really calling Peter Satan. What Jesus is saying is he can see Satan trying to work through Peter's fears and Peter's concerns. He's trying to use Peter to, to, to keep Jesus from making this choice, just like he did in the wilderness with Jesus. Like if you know that story, how Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness to make another decision, he's doing the same thing. He took this opportunity to use Peter to try to do the same thing. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus, if you read the scripture, Jesus doesn't want to incur the full wrath of God either. Later in the scripture, in the garden, he asked God to take the cup from him. He says, take it from me. So, so Jesus doesn't want to do this either, but, but he knows that he has to. So I'm sure Peter is thinking, why is this a problem? Like, why are you acting like this to me? Is it really that bad that I want you, someone I love, to live? Is it really focusing on the things of man that I want our king and our savior alive in this earth? And Jesus, he's about to reveal to Peter and the other disciples and really to all of us ultimately why what Peter is thinking and why what we're thinking is flawed. Now, Jesus, at this point, he's going to turn to his other disciples and he's going to bring them all into the conversation because he wants them all to hear it. And he's going to explain to them what, what he believes. And here's what he says to him. Start picking up in verse 24. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. 
This is what Jesus wanted his disciples, his followers to hear. Jesus knows that there's a day that's coming when, we will, when he's going to be crucified and he's going to die. And he knows the reason this is happening because he has to bear our sins. And he's telling them that if they want to truly follow him, they got to take up their cross as well. They got to bear their cross as well. Now, we've modified this phrase, take up your cross, into the phrase like my cross to bear. You may have heard people say that when we talk about troubles we have in life or a difficult person we deal with or the way things always seem to bother us in a certain way. We say, that's my cross to bear. But let me say something to you this is not how Jesus meant this phrase. No, Jesus is saying to his disciples is that this may cost them their lives if they do this. And quite frankly, history tells us it did for a lot of them. And in those times, let me say, a cross was an instrument of death. It was not a an ornament we put on a tree or a decoration for our house or a necklace we wear. A cross was an instrument of death. And quite frankly, it was probably the most painful and extended ways for a human being to be killed. So when Jesus says to his disciples, you will have to bear a cross if you want to follow me, he was serious. He wasn't playing around, and they knew it. They, that would be like us saying, why don't you hang an electric chair in your house, a picture of an electric chair? We wouldn't do it, because that's an instrument of death. So the disciples knew what this meant. This was, not, this was not something that was favorable. But see, Jesus, he doesn't shy away from the truth. And he wants them to know that if you follow me, it's going to have a cost. And this is why he just said what he said to Peter. See, Peter, he was looking for another way to God. He was saying, don't let this happen, Jesus. There's got to be another way. Read between the lines. That's what he's saying. There's got to be another way. Don't you think if God had another way, he would have done it? But see, this idea of another way, this idea of finding another way to God, that's the philosophy of hell. The easy way, the easy path. Escape the cross, it says. The philosophy of hell is to encourage us to not take up our cross. But see, the cross was important for our salvation. Satan will tell you to escape the cross, live the easy path, indulge yourself. You don't want the cross, he will say. But Jesus, he says, right here in verse 26, he says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? See, Jesus is answering the question of what taking up your cross is. He's saying if you cling to this life so much that you can't bear the idea of death, then you will lose your eternal life. But if you're willing and, you're, and you will follow me and you will sacrifice your life, then you will attain something far more powerful and rewarding. Give up your life if you want to live. 
You know, we need to give up the things of this world that we're being told and we believe are important. Things like money and power and prestige and respect. And maybe it's our friends and maybe it's our family. Boy, I'm really selling you something great here, aren't I? If I came to your door to sell this to you, you probably wouldn't buy it. It doesn't sound real appealing. And you might be thinking, why would I do this? But see, Jesus says, whoever finds his life will lose it. If you find your life here, you're going to lose it. You will lose your eternal reward if you focus too much on finding acceptance from other people. If you focus too much on accruing riches in this world, if you focus on your career, is that, that fulfilling your life? If you focus on your selfish desires, see, Jesus calls for a sacrifice of our lives in a way that means we're not afraid to be shunned, to be hated, and possibly killed because of our commitment. Taking up our cross means we're willingly accepting that life won't be easy, but we're ready to live it out anyway. See, you cannot gain anything in this world, Jesus says, to save your soul. That's what faith is like. That's what trust is like. That's what love is like. It's all or nothing. You can't be part of the way in and part of the way out. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, in the, in the United States and in America, we don't get this idea the same way as other people do out around the world. For hundreds of years, we have enjoyed a faith experience without the fear of death. Yeah, we, there's plenty of people that hate us, and there's plenty of people that will persecute us or say bad things about us or think bad things about us or want nothing to do with us. But we don't deal with the same pressures and, and fear that there are many of our brothers and sisters around the world deal with. Like in China, where they have to meet in private because the government could come and take them away. Or like in the Middle East or Africa, where there are other religions murdering Christians for what they believe. And, and, and for people in the United States, we, we spend part of the month of July, like this is a, a very important month for us because we celebrate our independence, right? We celebrate our freedoms. We celebrate the sacrifices that people, men and women, have made and our forefathers have made. We, we honor them because of that, the sacrifice they've made for our country, you know, these are people who've committed themselves to defend the freedoms of our country to the point of death. They say, I will stand for my fellow Americans, even if it means my life. And these are commendable decisions. So we honor them. It's intriguing we see that, though, because we're quick to die for our country or for a cause. But when God asks us to give up our life, we stand back and say, boy, I don't know. I want to follow you, but I don't want to give up that. You see, Satan is still saying, spare yourself. You don't want to come to the cross in your life. Live after your flesh. Go ahead. Indulge yourself. And Jesus, he's pointing at the cross and saying, 
There is no other way but the cross. You've got to reckon your old life to be dead, to be nailed to the cross with me. It has to be up there with me, and you have to live a new life. You can't live after the flesh anymore. You see, Paul, the apostle, later wrote in Romans, he got this, he read this. I'm sure he heard this, and here's what he says. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul Paul got it. The path of discipleship, to be a follower, means self-denial. i got to come to the end of my own ambitions, my own goals, my own desires, my own self-way, and i got to reckon that old life, it's got to be dead. It's got to be crucified. It's got to be on the cross with Christ. And i got to live a new life with, with the Spirit in my life. I mean, honestly, this is hard for us to hear, and it's hard for us to make happen. I'm going to admit to you, because I'm saying this to you, but I will tell you that I'm talking to myself first and foremost, because I don't like to deny myself. I don't know if y'all know, I like to eat. If you can't tell, I'm a big guy. I don't mess around. I'll put a buffet to shame. I like it. I don't like denial. I like nice things. Like, I like nice clothes. I want my family to have nice things. Money. Like, I fall into the same traps that we all fall into. I'll be, there's hard, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm hard-pressed to find anybody who tell you I'm really good at self-denial. You're real humble, too, if they tell you that. There's nobody who's good at self-denial. It's just not something we're good at. Why is that? Because we're, we're not just going around committing sins. We're just sinners. It's inbred into our body that we want things for ourselves. We're selfish creatures. We are created that way. When we aren't created that way, I'm sorry, sin did that to us. It made us this way. I'll tell you, kids are the perfect embodiment of this. I got two boys, six and three, and I will tell you, they are self-gratifying creatures. They do not, if they want to do it and it, it's fun for them, they will do it and they don't care about consequences. Ramifications, that word doesn't even mean anything to them. I don't even think they can say ramifications. <laughs> I might ask them to later. But I'll tell you, recently, my three-year-old, Isaac, we were outside. We're spending out, because that's all you can do right now is go outside and work in your yard. I don't know. I hate the heat. This whatever. Anyway, we're outside. We're doing yard work. We're doing all kinds of stuff. And he's wearing a tank top, and he gets his sunburn. And I tell you, it, it, he got sunburned, and it hurt him. And really, it hurt Pam and I, because we're thinking, why do we let this happen? Right? We should have been putting sunscreen on him. Because I'll tell you what, kids will run around all day in the blazing sun with no shirt on, like, and they don't think about the sunburn. Right? They don't care about sunburn. They're like, what? What's sunburn? Like, and they may have been sunburnt before, and they still will do it, right? Because they don't know. As parents, we're supposed to know. Put sunscreen on, right? I'm going to put sunscreen on you, and they always fight you. It's terrible. Um, but it, it, this is what kids do. But here's the funny thing. Adults do it, too, because guess who else got sunburnt that day? Me. I had a tank top on, too, and I got a really bad sunburn. 
We do it too because we, we forget. And then we do these things. We make these choices. Like, and, and later on we're going, why did I do that? Why did I not put sunscreen on? Why did I make that choice? Why did I do that again? This is how we treat our eternal life too sometimes. C.S. Lewis wrote the following in his book, The Weight of Glory. He said, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I mean, you think about it. We are running around enjoying the pleasures of this world, sex, greed, pride, fame, and we just forget that we have this eternal life ahead of us. We want our cake and we want to eat it too. We want to say that we're followers of Jesus. Yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I still want to hang on to these desires of the flesh a little bit. See, there's no benefit to living this way. What you find when you live that way is that you're constantly comparing yourselves to other people. You're constantly looking for ways to get ahead. You're never satisfied in your current situation. You rely on other people for your happiness through your relationships, physical and emotional. You've got struggles you deal with as a result of this. But if you choose to live as followers, Jesus promises you you'll have patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, love for others. You'll experience the weight of shame and regret lifted from your life. I mean, how many of us hold on to things that we just cannot let go of? Jesus says, you live and follow me. There's no guilt. There's no shame. You can let that go. And those sins that we deal with, God is saying, you know, they're not going to magically disappear. The temptations of the world will not just disappear, but our, our resolve will be different. We will be able to turn to God and say, I can't face this alone, and he'll support us. And what this commitment does is it ensures us an eternity with our God, an eternity in his kingdom. We say we're followers of Jesus. But when we go out into the world, we look for another way to find that life, right? We, we, some of us will even say, hey, if I follow the rules and I do this or that or, or, or do these things, then maybe I'll make it in. Maybe that'll get me eternity. I think the same thing that we hear Peter doing, we're doing. Don't you think God would have found another way if there was one? Jesus is saying, take up your cross. Die to this world. Now, in America, our deaths are less literal and more about understanding that the American dream is not the path of faith. We have enough problem letting go of these so-called freedoms that we have that we've been sold are part of our life in the American dream than we do even focusing on letting go of the things of this world. Discipleship, being a follower, means it won't be easy. 
It's not going to be the path of least resistance. Jesus told his disciples this, and he means for us to hear it as well. Now, there's this old hymn by Lucy Ann Bennett, and, and here's what it says. It says, Oh, teach me what it meaneth, that cross uplifted high, with one the man of sorrows, condemned to bleed and die. Oh, teach me what it cost thee to make a sinner whole, and teach me, Savior, teach me, the value of a soul. You see, there's value to our soul. And Jesus knew what that cost really was. He left his home in heaven, and he came here to live with us. And was he treated like a king? No, he wasn't. But he did it anyway. He chose to give his life for us. He knew that this was the only way that we could be saved, and it didn't matter to him that life was easy. Jesus was calling us, and he's still calling us, to accept our death in this world. Accept that there is no way to eternal life but through him. Give up your life if you want to live. Now I want to ask you, what's holding you back today? What is that part of your life that you just continue to hold on to as the path of least resistance? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your parenting? Is it in the constant need for you to have the newest and best things? Is it the way you treat your relationships? Is it in the fact that you think following all the rules and and doing everything the way you're told you've been raised to do them is what's going to get you in? Is it your addictions? Is it those things that you, that you, you struggle with? Ask yourself these questions, okay? Think about it. Think about what God is pointing out to you that is standing in the place of Him. Then here's the real thing that you need to do. Then talk to somebody about it, right? Discipleship, being a follower... It wasn't meant to be done alone. You weren't meant to do this alone. Being a follower was never a solitary endeavor, right? Jesus himself, the Son of God, did not come to earth and do it all alone. He surrounded himself with men who helped him through all of this. I don't have all the answers for you, right? How could I? Because I don't know all the answers for myself. But what I do know is that the answers will come for us when we spend time together reading God's Word, holding each other accountable, and and just spending time together just understanding what God wants, the best that God wants for our lives. So I want to encourage you, find a close friend, a family member, maybe it's your husband or your wife, Somebody in your life who can do this with you. And if, and if you don't have someone who can do that, email me. I'll find somebody. I'll help you find someone who can, who can do this alongside of with you. Because here's the bottom line. This is about life and death. 
when we live a life that's about these pleasures and selfish desires that we've got, then we're living to die. We're not living with the end in mind. We're not looking at the end of the story and saying, that's what it's about. We're looking at right now and saying, well, this should be what it's about. Yeah, we got to deny ourselves for a while, but the ultimate reward is far better than anything we can get here. Because Jesus says, when we die to this world and the ideals that it represents, we're dying so that we may live and live life to the fullest. Give up our lives if we want to live. Your Heavenly Father, it's not easy to give up our lives. We, we struggle with it and you know it. We want, we want to live a life that's selfish. We, 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 we fight against the need to live the way you want us to live. Lord. We just ask you to release us from that. Help us, help us to realize that there's nothing in this life that will give us eternity. And that if we truly want to be followers of you, that we need to deny ourselves and deny these desires that we have, Lord. So I pray for strength for everyone here, Lord. That we can do that. That we can find someone who can come alongside us and we can do this together as a family. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made. It's so important. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we pray all of these things in your name.